0: Our first reading comes from 1 Peter 3, verses 1 to 7. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles, And the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters. If you do what is right, and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This reading is taken from
1: one Peter chapter three, starting at verse eight, and reading to verse twenty two. Finally, They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolises baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. You might have heard the story of a guy called Larry
2: Walters. He was a 33-year-old man who decided that he wanted to see his neighbourhood from a new perspective. So he went down to an army surplus store one morning and he bought 45 used weather balloons. That afternoon he strapped himself to a chair and several of his friends tied the now helium-filled balloons to that chair. He took along a six-pack of beer, a sandwich, and a BB gun, figuring that he could shoot the balloons one at a time when he was ready to land. Walters, who assumed the balloons would lift him about 100 feet in the air, was caught off guard when he flew in the... Well, he he soared more than 11,000 feet into the sky, right into the middle of Los Angeles International Airport's flight paths. He was frightened... Um, to shoot any of the balloons so he stayed in the air for more than two hours forcing the airport to shut down its runways for the afternoon causing long delays in flights across the country soon after he was safely grounded and sighted by the police reporters asked him three questions were you scared? yes would you do it again? no and why did you do it? Because, he said, you can't just sit there. As Christians, God has called us to do more than just sit there. Now, I'm not advocating we go and get some balloons and fly across Horsham. That would be a silly idea. But um, God has called us to join him on a great adventure. And this passage helps us think about how we can be bold in our daily living. So if we're called to an adventure, let's think about what that word means means. The Oxford Dictionary says that it's an unusual and exciting or daring experience or it means to engage in a daring or risky activity. So what is this adventure that God has called us to that involves engaging in a risky activity? Well that adventure is is the challenge that we have to show a watching world exactly what it means to be a Christian We've been called to fulfil a purpose. We've been called to be people who do more than just sit there. We've been called to be bold in our faith and to share the faith we have in Jesus with others. Our mission, if we choose to accept it, is to live out our faith in such a way that the world takes notice. So what exactly is involved in that? How exactly do we do it? Well, 1 Peter 3 gives us some help with that, the second part of it, of course. And the first thing we're called to do is to live in such a way that we're eager to do good. We're called to eagerly live out our faith. Verse 13 implies that God looks for us to be eager to do good. And 1 Peter 3, 8 to 11 tells us what that eagerness should look like. He says, finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble, and a whole load of other things. He tells us that we're to be like-minded, sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, be humble, don't repair evil with evil or insult with insult. Turn from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. In other words, God has called us to be people who show his love to those around us and try to become more like him in all things. I'm sure we've all been, from time to time, been people who don't quite manage to live up to those standards. And that's why maybe Peter has mentioned it a few times in his letters to remind us. In 1 Peter two seventeen, he says, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. And in 2 Peter 1, verse 5, he repeats, Make every effort to add add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly, kindness, and to brotherly, kindness, love. So why stress this? Why repeat these things time and time again? Well, I reckon it's because it's not always easy to be those things. And because it's not always easy, it's an attitude we need to choose to have, and that takes effort. But verse 13, like I said, says, we should be eager to do good. It was John Wesley who said, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever, you can. We're invited to live our lives in such a way that people know what we stand for and that people can see our faith in action and see the good that we do to those around us. But doing that isn't always easy. Sometimes it takes a bit of courage. And verse 14 says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Do not be frightened, or do not fear, is something that we're told time and time again throughout the Bible. Someone once went through the Bible and found that there were at least 30, 365 times that we're told to not fear. That's one command for every day of the year. Because it's hard to be bold in your faith if you're overtaken by fear. Fear and boldness just don't go together. And you know fear is such a strange feeling and there are all sorts of things that people are afraid of. I found a list of different phobias and I wonder if you can think of what it is before I tell you. But there's paladophobia, which is the fear of bald people. There is aerophobia, which is the fear of drafts. There's one I can't say so we'll move on. There's (laughs) I'll go for it. It's Porphyrophobia, which is the fear of the colour purple, apparently. There's chetophobia, which is a fear of hairy people. There's caliprophobia, which is a fear of obscure meanings. And I'll just go with one more, which is phobophobia, which is a fear of being afraid. There are lots of things. That people are afraid of. But Peter tells us not to fear. He does however remind us that suffering is inevitable. The situations we might find ourselves in might seem intimidating. But we always have a solution to overcome that fear. And that's Jesus. God is greater than anything we might fear. But fear is something that we all experience at some point in our lives. It's really quite normal, but we should never let it get the better of us because we've got God on our side. When Peter questioned who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good, he was writing to strong believers who worked hard for God. They suffered, really suffered, for doing good. They were passionate about their faith regardless of the consequences. But Peter wasn't dismissing their fear. And he wasn't dismissing their suffering, which was very real to them. Instead, he was saying that their suffering, in the end, would result in joy. Someone asked C.S. Lewis, why do the righteous suffer? Why not, he replied. They're the only ones who should be able to take it. Because, you see, when we face our fear, it allows our faith to shine. There was a book produced that had in it a study involving 413 famous and exceptionally gifted people who have helped change the world. The author spent many years attempting to understand what produced such greatness, to find a common thread that ran through these outstanding lives. Surprisingly, the most outstanding fact was that, well, the thread that ran through all of these lives was that virtually all of them, which was 392 out of 413, had to overcome the personal fears associated with great suffering or failure in order to become who they were. Suffering is going to happen, but we need to face it knowing that God is greater. And let's be honest, the things that we call suffering are insignificant compared to what people in other countries go through. In fact, I dare say that in our culture... We don't really know what it's like to suffer for our faith. At least not like people elsewhere do. People who have threats to their life because of what they believe and their influences and how that influences the things that they do. We've got it really lucky over here. We don't really know what it is. But if we do suffer for our faith, we'll be blessed by God, is what we're told. So how does that work? But well, when we focus on the things of this world, those things can be taken from us in a heartbeat. But when we focus on God, no matter what we face, we know that God will always be with us. And that is a real blessing for anyone. Think of it this way. Romans eight twenty eight tells us that God will work all things out for good. 1 Peter four fourteen says God will give you his glory in the face of insults. And Matthew 6.33 reminds us that God provides all that we need, so we shouldn't worry. But you know, if we're afraid, we're less likely to be living our lives as boldly as we might. There might be things we could do, but we choose not to, because we're scared. And because of our fears, we're less likely to share our faith through the things we do too. Leighton Ford wrote a book called Good News Is For Sharing. And he said about when he wrote his book, he said, in preparing for this book, I've talked to a lot of people and the fear issue comes up front again and again. What makes people hesitate to share their faith? Here are some of the fears that have been mentioned to me. I'm afraid I might do more harm than good. I don't know what to say. I may not be able to give snappy answers to tricky questions. I may seem bigoted, I may invade someone's privacy. I'm afraid I might fail. I'm afraid I might be a hypocrite. Perhaps the most common fear, however, is of that of being rejected. He goes on to say that a survey was given to those attending training sessions for a Billy Graham crusade. And one question asked was what is your greatest hindrance to witnessing? Nine percent said they were too busy to remember to do it. Twenty-eight percent ...felt the lack of real information to share. None said they didn't actually care. 12% said their own lives were not speaking as they should. But by far the largest group were the 51%... ...whose biggest problem was the fear of how the other person would react. None of us like to be rejected, ridiculed or regarded as an oddball. We fear all sorts of things... But in the historical context of this passage, Peter tells us not to be afraid, to assert your love and passion for God. It's worth the risk of being misunderstood to be a person of faith. And it comes down to this. Are we willing to live out our faith even when it means we have to stand against the culture around us? We were told to be all those things, be eager to do good. That's not what the culture around us does. Are we willing to be those people and make a difference? Peter tells us not to be afraid, but to live out our faith and to wholly live for Jesus. We will become the people that God wants us to be when we do not fear and do not be frightened. And verse 15 tells us But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Peter says that we've got to put Christ as number one in our hearts. That's a challenge to all of us as Christians, to put him first in our lives, and properly first. And when God is first in our lives, when he has his proper place, then we should never have a reason to fear. In 1999, a poll showed that 78% of Americans expect to go to heaven when they die. However, less than 30% of them ever pray, read the Bible, or go to church. And Christians wonder why we're filled with fear. We have a choice to make, and when we're putting God first in our lives, we'll make sure we make time for Him. Do we really do that? And do we really let him have complete rule over our lives? A.W. Tozer says, People who have set apart Christ as Lord have three distinct marks. They're only facing one direction. They never turn back in the face of fear. And they no longer have plans of their own. You see, a spirit-filled Christian can say no to fear. But if we do fear, then God will protect us. But the second part of verse 15 said, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Giving an answer for the hope that we have. That word answer means to make a defence. And we can't do that if we don't make time to spend in prayer with God and reading the Bible. Sunday Christianity won't answer those who ask questions. That doesn't mean that we have to have every possible answer sorted out. None of us are ever going to be able to do that. But that our lives will speak so loudly of our faith that our lives will give the answers. God wants us to seek Him with a passion and trust Him in all things. We can go into the world to compl- um, boldly to complete the task He's given us because God has promised to never leave us. We read throughout the Bible of people who struggled with all sorts of things, but who overcame through faith. People like Esther, David, Abraham, and loads and loads of people in the Bible who were bold in their faith. People who were prepared to give an answer for the hope that they had. People who lived contrary to the popular times. And we need to be like them We need to live at our faith and we need to be bold in our faith. And we need to be prepared to give an answer for our faith. And we're told how to do this. Verse 16 says, But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. With gentleness and respect. Our main focus should be to present Jesus to the world by doing those things that we were told about earlier, by being sympathetic, by loving one another, by being compassionate, by being humble, by not repaying evil with evil or insult with insult, by turning from evil and doing good, and by seeking peace and pursuing it. You've probably heard of a guy called Fritz Kreisler who was a world-famous violinist, He earned a fortune with his concerts and compositions, but generously he gave most of it away. So, when he discovered an exquisite violin on one of his trips, he didn't have enough money to buy it. Later, having saved enough money to meet the asking price, he returned to the cellar, hoping to purchase the beautiful instrument. But unfortunately, it had already been sold to a collector. Chrysler made his way to the new owner's home and offered to buy the violin. But the collector had said it had become his prized possession and he wouldn't sell it. Keenly disappointed, Chrysler was about to leave when he had an idea. Could I play it one more time before it's consigned to silence, he asked. Permission was granted and the great virtuoso filled the room with such heart-moving music that the collector's emotions were deeply stirred. I have no right to keep that to myself, he exclaimed. It's sure yours, Mr Chrysler. Take it to the world and let people hear it. And that's what we're to do. Take it to the world and let people hear it. God has called every single one of us to live out our faith and live it boldly in those really simple ways. But we're to take it to the world and let people hear it. And when we're questioned about why we believe in Jesus and about the difference he makes to us, let's be ready and willing to give an answer. Doesn't mean we have to have all the answers, but to be honest about what we believe. But whatever you do, don't just sit there. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that we serve a living God. We thank you that you are with us wherever we go. Help us to be people who represent you to the world, who are eager to do good and want to live in peace with everybody. Help us to be the people you want us to be. Amen.